Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you, re when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, 
which is your glory. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. All right, we've been studying, looking at Paul's letter to the the church of Ephesus now for three weeks. And uh, as we have considered this, we have seen that Paul was presenting to the believers of Ephesus that God in his sovereignty had a plan, a plan of salvation, a plan of redemption. And he begins right off the bat, and we saw in the first message how many things, according to God's sovereignty, he has blessed us with. And so I just want to just real quick read through it again, okay? Again, it sounds like it's focusing on us, but it's not. It's focusing on God. This is what God has done for us. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen or elect. We are adopted as the sons of God. We are accepted. We are redeemed and pardoned. We are informed about the mystery of his will, which this morning we're going to find out a little bit more about. We are promised an inheritance. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, all as a result of what we do. And what do we do? Nothing. We merely hear the word of truth and believe it. That's it. That's all you got to do to hear and believe. And then God does everything else for you. Paul, as a, as a, as a response to that, as he's telling them all about it, he says, so, so I pray for you. And that was the second message. We talked about Paul's prayer for them. So I pray for you, and my prayer for you is summed up right here in the middle, right? That the Father of glory may give to you the spirit and revelation and the knowledge of him. I want you guys to know him. This is the God who's blessed your socks off. Who wants you to know all these things. And so my prayer for you is that you might be able to grow in wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. In order that, then he goes on, you may know the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance, the exceeding greatness of his power, the working of his mighty power. That... But all that's going to come as a result of knowing him. And we remembered then Jesus' prayer for the disciples. And he talked about what eternal life is. This is eternal life. This is life eternal. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. It's not knowing about God. It's knowing God. Do you get it? There's a big difference between getting facts and having a relationship. I grew up getting facts. I knew all about God. 23 years. I can't tell you I went to church every Sunday, but probably 90% of them. I mean, again, you guys laugh at this, but you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, even if it, if it was icy, my dad, we walked uphill both ways to church and back, okay? I mean... Amen. I mean, if you've ever been to Pittsburgh, you say amen. You understand what I mean. It's true. And if it was ice, it was ice. But you walked. Those are the days, you, you know, you walked everywhere. It didn't really matter anyway, right? And um, and when you grow up in the city, you just do that more. So, but I didn't know him. I didn't know God. I didn't know Jesus until I was 23 years old. And my life changed. It then mirrored exactly what we saw last week in Ephesians 2, the beginning part, verses 1 to 10. What we were, we were dead in trespasses and sins. 
the wages of sin is is death. Separation. We get it. Separation from God. I was separate from God. I didn't realize it. Until afterwards, and I realized how great of a void there was in my life that I didn't know. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I walked according to the eon, the course, the, the, the generation, if you would, of this world. I cared about looking like the world. I cared about acting like the world. I cared about getting the world's favor. I walked according to the course of the world. I listened to the music of the world. I DJed parties so people could have fun in the course of the world. I walked according to the prince and power of there. We don't want to admit that. But if you're not in God's camp, whether you realize it or not, you are in Satan's camp. And he controls you, whether you realize it or not. There's no middle ground. And I'm not trying to be mean and rude and everything. I, I get it. I was there. I lived it. I didn't kill animals and, and that kind of stuff and do the satanic rituals. But I did. I was all about Bob. That's the core sin of Satan. He wanted to be like the Most High God. And that was Bob. I was a child of wrath. And if you're here last week, you know what's coming next. But God. But God. Not but Bob. But God. But God who is rich in mercy. But God who is great in loving kindness. But God continued in his faithfulness and his loving kindness and his long-suffering to Bob to extend the call of his message so that Bob could hear of his great love for him. That Bob could know what God wanted for him. That he didn't want him to live that life of decadence. But he wanted him to live a life of purpose. To have everlasting life. To live a life full of joy in knowing him. So he sent me the message. And he brought me into my current state. And if you remember, this is just overwhelming to me. That's why I'm reviewing it. Because this is going to lead us right into what we're talking about. My position. We, this is our position if you know Jesus Christ, right? But this is for Bob. I like to personalize things. Even if you didn't exist, this is true. I was made alive with Christ. I was made to raise, I was raised up with Christ and I was given a seat in the heavens with Christ. That sounds mind boggling. Cause I can't visualize that. But it's true. I'm seated in the heavens with my father already. And my Abba gave me a vision of that years ago, years ago when we were doing a, 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 a boys, uh, Young men's retreat. Woody and I went out and, um, and Woody was mentoring me and, and I, I couldn't get to sleep. There was music from my past being played. He went over and had the guy turn it down and I, but I was still awake. And I remember this, this day vision. Don't write it down. Okay. This is, you know, but this that God gave me. I mean, God was a judge to me. Okay. I mean, that's where I grew up. God was the judge. 
And I knew who I was. And so there was this throne that was high and lifted up, and God was on it. And while I looked, you guys remember the Transformers? The throne was transformed into an easy chair. And God reached his hand down and says, but I'm still your Abba. Come on up on my lap and let's read a book together. You can take that for whatever you want. But that was powerful for Bob. Bob needed to get that moment. At that, Bob needed to transition between the judge and the daddy. And for some, it's hard with your dad. And I love my dad. I appreciate my dad. But my dad was a Marine sergeant. And growing up, it was discipline. And, and I'm not picking on my dad. I love my dad. He's a brother in the Lord now. I'm so excited about it. But I grew up with judge. Whether my fault, his fault, whoever's, it doesn't matter. Do you get it? He loves me with an everlasting love. And he has seated me in the heavens with him. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you know it or not, that's where you're at. Get a grip on it. This is exciting stuff. But he did it. So I could reveal his kindness to those that are about it. That they, they could see through me his loving, excellent kindness. And that they'll want it. That to see his workmanship being revealed. That this is what God does in someone's life. How he can transform them. I'm the guy who stopped the car and told his wife out of the car. I'm the guy who stopped the van and walked while my kids said, Daddy, come back. (laughs) I can't get over what God does. It's not about Bob. So never get it in your brain that Bob thinks it's all about Bob. There's nothing to do about Bob. It's everything in spite of Bob. In fact, I was praying this morning about what God's doing in spite of me, in spite of us. Do you get it? But even as we went through all this, I want you to step back now. Because you've been we've been talking about this from 2022 US Gentiles. Get rid of that. Place yourself back now in that first century. Jesus has just died. The church has just begun. Who's going out and witnessing? To whom was the gospel originally given? The Jews. The Jews are going out. And there's a question that runs through their brain. Is this really only for the Jews? What does this mean to me as a a Gentile? You've just gone through all these wonderful things for you Jews. But does this apply to me? I'm living in Ephesus. I'm a Gentile. I only come to your 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 um your synagogues, your synagogues, and I, I'm forced to sit way back here. We'll talk about this in a moment. Beyond the last partition i look through the 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 lattice work to only see it from a distance 
What does this do for me? What does this mean to me? And Paul's getting ready to tell them that, boom! This isn't a Jew thing. This is a world thing. This is a Jew and Gentile thing. Jesus isn't just the king of the Jews. He's the king of the whole world. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is exciting stuff. We take it for granted. Because we're 2,000 years later. For the Gentiles of this day, this was a moment. You don't have to come through the Jews anymore. God loves you. You are part of the chosen. Israel was always called the chosen people, yes? That's who they were, the chosen people. They still are. As a nation, they still are. God is going to work. I'm not a covenant theologian. We get that, right? That God's still going to be working through the physical nation of Israel. We'll see passage on that a little bit later on. But God loves the Gentiles. So, we begin with this in chapter 2, okay? Where then Paul has this declaration of the reconciliation of Christ, where, where Christ came to the world to reconcile us to God, but not just to God, to one another. That there is supposed to be this oneness that's going to come. Well, we start off with our state. The misery, if you would, of the Gentiles. Who we were. We were those who had no citizenship or claim in Israel. Boom. Think back to the book of Ruth. Naomi. Goes to Moab, right? She comes back with Ruth. When Ruth comes back, she makes a declaration. She says, your people will be my people and your, your God, my God. Because she recognizes the fact he's the God of Israel. I have to proselytize myself. I've got to be, I've got to be able to submit myself and become that alien. I got to be less of a person, not a person. In order to come and worship the true God. That's what it was like for them back then. We had no citizen, no claim. We had no hope and without God in this world. And I got the dot, dot, dot in this world. He, Paul states it in this world, but it, that's profound to me. Because we look at people and we go, you know, think about it from the perspective of a believer, right? How would I go through this if I didn't know Jesus, right? Well, you didn't have no hope. You were without God in this world. There was no hope. There was nothing to lean on. What did you have? A God of wood? A God of stone? That you made with your own hands? And you're going to go kneel before it? A God who only cares about your sexual pleasures? A God who wants you to sacrifice your babies? They didn't bring hope. But the God who brings life brings hope. But as a Gentile, he wasn't our God. Or we didn't think he was our God. The Jews were good at continue, at forgetting what their purpose in the world was. What was the purpose for the Jews in this world? Say again. To represent God. That the world would know. That the world may know that Yahweh is God. That the world may know, that the world may know, that the world may know. It's over and over and over again in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. Ezekiel is, is just full of it, of it. 
That's the whole purpose, that the world may know, that we would know, that the Israel would know. I mean, when the, when, when, when Moses was here giving the, the, the plagues and all that kind of stuff, it was so that Pharaoh would know, that Egypt would know, that Israel would know, then ultimately that the world would know. And when you finally get to, to Jericho, there's Rahab. And, and we find out what? She knows! Do you get it? And she has faith. No citizenship, no claim, no hope. But Jesus then came and he broke down the middle wall partition. Now, some of you, real quick, may ask yourself, what's the middle wall partition? Well, literally, physically, this is way back in the 60s when I was there, 60 AD. And, um, and, I, and I took a picture of this with a camera that didn't exist yet. Anyways, <laughs> some of you got that real quick. Anyways, so um, replication of it, okay? But make, make it a little bit bigger so you can see it, okay? Um, in the temple of the day, there were three courts. You had the court of the Gentiles. They were allowed up on the temple mount, but they were not allowed into the temple area proper. There was literally a wall. See the, the doors, the openings? They weren't allowed through those. If you were a Gentile, if you were not a Jew, you were allowed here. You could worship from a distance, from afar but you weren't allowed up near. This is the court of the women. So the women were allowed into here. Note one door. They're allowed in the court of the women, but the women weren't allowed in here. There were stratas. There were of society, okay? So as a Gentile, you were beneath what? Women. Nothing personal, women, okay? But that's but in, in that society, you were even below the woman, okay? And then this was the court of the men, where the men could go, and then the temple proper, where only the priests could go. There were strata of acceptance. Jesus broke down the middle wall of partition. The picture. Again, he didn't literally physically break it down. The, the whole temple came down to 70, right? And so, but, but spiritually speaking, Jesus broke this thing down so that there we have total access all the way in. He did it by nullifying nullifying the enmity of the law. Now, this is critical for me. This, 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 past, this part is very important that we get this, okay? Um, and note, as I'm not going to bring these up, but note in this, we're going to give a reason. There's going to be a, a rationale in here, and they're all about bringing unity from enmity, okay? Making both one to make himself one new man, okay? Of two. So Romans 2, verses 12 to 16, we read, For as many as have sinned without law, will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, physis, that goes back to last week, can't back into it, but okay, by nature, your very being as a human, okay? When, when, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things that are in the law, these all, know, though not having a law, are a law to themselves. And I know that sounds, what, what? who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves. What's the whole point? There is a law. God has a law. Forget Mosaic law for a moment. Forget Mosaic law. There is a law. You get it. Murder is wrong. We say it's because of the Mosaic law. It's not because of Mosaic law. The Mosaic law is because it's a law of God. And God places it in a man's heart. He knows, instinctively, man knows the physics, the nature of man. He knows murder is wrong. You get it? 
We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 11 in just a brief moment. We're not going to do the whole thing, but the the, the context of 1 Corinthians 11 is about head coverings. And it says that doth not even nature itself teach you that a woman should have long hair. Again, not going to do the side subject. But there are certain things just by nature that you know is right and wrong. Make sense? So, before we get to the next passage, I just built a case. For even the Gentiles, there's a concept of the law. Genesis chapter 4, it came about that Cain and Abel brought forth a what? A mincha, an offering to God. They knew it. Somehow they knew in this specific moment they were supposed to bring an offering. And we're not told what it was supposed to be. We just know that Cain, Cain's was not received, but Abel's was, right? But there must have been a expectation for it that God had communicated and they knew it. Because God says to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So there's, there's an idea of a law. There's a, there's a, there's a standard. There are ordinances. There are decrees. There are expectations from God that was placed upon man and he communicated them. Though they're not necessarily written there for us, they knew what they were. That's why judgment comes at the flood. Because the only thought of man was, was for wickedness, what? Ex- exceeding all, all the time, right? Well, what's wickedness? I mean, if there's no definition of it, what is it? Do you get it? So there has to be inherently, by nature, some definition of what evil and wickedness is even before you get to Moses. Are you tracking with me on this? Okay. All right. Romans 3 then, verse 21 to 24, verse 31. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Without effect, that's our word to nullify here. I put it on your sermon notes because I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. But it says to abolish, the abolish the law. That's not the right word. I don't even know why they use it. I don't like it. It literally means to nullify, to make of none effect. Okay? Abolish means like you destroyed it. He didn't destroy it. He made it of none effect. Okay? So, so what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faith, uh, faithfulness of God without effect? Would it nullify the faithfulness of God? Of course not. Okay? That's the same word that we're, we're talking about back in, in Ephesians chapter 2. Okay? Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the what? By the law. Isn't that kind of fun? That the law itself witnessed to the fact that, that God's righteousness was going to come and it was going to replace it. That the law of gravity was going to be overcome by the law of aerodynamics. Did you ever get into one of those big old planes with tons of steel in it and with a bunch, hundreds of other people and you start to lift off and you say to yourself, this isn't right? And you're flying over the Andes Mountains. I remember when I went to Peru watching the Andes Mountains and all those kinds of things. I'm thinking to myself, this isn't right. But I'm praising God that it stays up here until we complete the, the whole trip. Because the law of thermodynamics overcomes the law of gravity. It doesn't nullify. It, it didn't abolish the law of gravity. The law of gravity still existed. It was still true. But the law of thermodynamics, the aerodynamics, what was I saying? Thermodynamics. Forget thermodynamics. That's another story. Aerodynamics. The law of aerodynamics. It overcomes the law of gravity. Thank you. I can't believe the rest of you didn't help me on that one. <laughs> Let them go on this one. <laughs> All right. Sorry. I can't waste time. So anyways. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely, freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do we then make void, null, that's our word, the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we what? We establish it. Stop for a moment. Somebody tell me what the new covenant is. I mean, you're all under the new covenant. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus established the new covenant with his blood? Amen. Amen. Tell it to me. What's the new covenant? What's that new covenant? I mean, if you are part of the new covenant, and there's this agreement, there's this contract, there's these expectations that are part of the covenant, you can tell me the expectations of the old covenant, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a, uh, an idol in the form of anything. You shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day to hold. Those are words of the covenant. Literally, we call them Ten Commandments, but literally in the, in the old, in the Hebrew, it's called the words of the covenant. Those were the words, the contracting points of the covenant, of the old covenant. Tell me, what's the new covenant? All right, grace. No. Thank you, Zoe. The law is written in your hearts and on your minds. Jeremiah 31. Go read it. Check me out. It doesn't get rid of the law. It only nullifies the consequences of disobedience to the law. God hasn't changed his standards. He hasn't changed his expectations. He still wants to be worshipped. And he wants to be worshipped according to his terms. And he puts those things in your heart, in your mind, when you become a believer. Because the Holy Spirit now is dwelling within you. That the Father and the Son are dwelling within you. How mind-boggling is this? And if he is dwelling within you, he is the one who brings into you both the will and to do of his good pleasure, not yours. He's conforming me to his will. He's not conforming himself to my will. Are we tracking there? So, he nullified the what? Not the law. Note the words are important. Paul says that he didn't abolish the law. He didn't nullify the law. What did he nullify? The enmity. He nullified the enmity of the law. It's a huge point. I no longer live in fear of the law. You will be judged. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be judged according to the law. God's law did not change when Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected. It is still 100% the exact same law. And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have not received the grace of God into your life, then you will experience the judgment of God. And His wrath is poured out according to His law. Do you understand? What Jesus did was He nullified the consequences. The wages of sin, of disobedience to the law, is what? 
death. Do you get it? It doesn't change. That's part of the gospel. People need to understand it. But Jesus nullified that enmity in his death on the cross. He paid the penalty of my sins. He did what I deserve. So then the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus our Lord. He nullified the enmity. Romans 6, 5-7, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Do you know what that word is? It's the exact same word we're talking about. It, to be nullified. To made void. That the body of sin might be made void, might be nullified, might be made powerless that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Back in the Emancipation Proclamation, slaves were made free. But there were many slaves who chose what? To stay. Because they didn't know anything different. And it was comfortable to them. They were walking, if you would, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and they were comfortable in that, and so they stayed with that. Now, some of it was because they had good masters. I get that, okay? But they had freedom, and they could have walked, and they could have done whatever they chose to do. But they didn't recognize it. They didn't actualize it. We live the same way. The enmity of the law has been nullified. You have been made free. But not to serve yourself but to serve the living God. Jesus did it by sacrificing himself on the cross, reconciling both, both Jews and Gentiles to God in one body by putting to death the enmity. Again, putting to death the enmity. This is all about the enmity. It's not about the law. That's what Paul was saying. Do we nullify the law? Certainly not. We confirm the law. And then Jesus came and he proclaimed peace to the Gentiles. Those who were far off. Those who were in that far off, court in the Jews to those who were to near. For what purpose? That he might bring unity in the church. Because through him then, we have the same access to the Father. Both Jews and Gentiles have access to the same Father through the same Spirit. Stop for a moment. Application. Okay, that's all good. That's first century. How does that apply to today? It grieves my heart, and you've heard this said, and so I'm not saying anything new. It grieves my heart, though, that one of the greatest days of segregation in this country is Sunday. One of the greatest moments when men are divided is during the worship time. I pray, I've been praying for years, and I, I, I don't mean this to be over-spiritual, and I, I, I really don't. The, I think the elders can tell me, tell, agree, Marsha would testify to this. I want this church, I want this assembly to look like this neighborhood. Do you get it? I want Latinos. I, I, and, I don't, and I even hate saying Latinos. I mean, I, I hate referring to nationalities. I hate referring to skin tones. Because we all have melanin. Again, I've had, you came up, Elijah. Come here again for me a second, Elijah. Because I can't, I mean, I, I can bring one of your kids, but I'll be cheating a little bit, okay? 
You're, you're, a, little bit, you're a bit a little darker on the, on the tone, okay? Turn your hand this way, though. You guys see that? Pretty close, ain't it? We're, we're brown. I always, I do this to the kids at, 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 at good, good News Club. I am not white, man. I am not white. Thanks. You're good. This is white. I am not this. We all got melanin. Forget if, if color is, is something in your brain. Look at that. That was kind of cool. If color is something in your brain, get rid of it. Nationalities. I get it. They're there. But they're not in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Do you get it? He has broken down the middle wall of partition, the middle wall of separation for everybody. You're no better. You're no worse. There's flat ground at the cross. Cliches, you've heard them, but they're true. We have the same access to the Father through the exact same Spirit. That's struggle sometimes, isn't it? Because we don't always agree theologically on things. And you're thinking, do they have the same spirit as I got? It's not for me to worry about. My father can handle the, the answering the calls, right? <laughs> okay. We have the same citizenship in the household of God. I don't have to worry about whether I'm a Jew. I'm better. I don't mean it like I'm better than a Jew. I don't mean that you get what I'm saying. But I'm a child of God. I don't have to worry about whether I'm a child of Israel. I'm a child of God. We have the same foundation, the apostles and the what? The prophets. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament is very important. I hate when I see modern churches jettison the Old Testament. That it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Everything you believe is based upon the foundation of that. Don't get rid of Genesis 1 to 11. I mean, from this whole part of creation, well, that doesn't really matter. It's science. No, it does matter. Everything you believe about sin and reconciliation is all based in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Sorry, keep going. We have the same chief cornerstone, that's Jesus Christ. And he then leads into this last part in chapter 3, talking then about the mystery of the church. And how he is, that God gave him the special privilege of being able to, to reveal this mystery, this mystery of the church and how Jesus was going to come, that, that God was going to come in the flesh. He was going to establish this thing called the church where the Jews and the Gentiles were all going to come together as one. And he's going to do it through the apostles and prophets. Now that's the first step. Okay. He, he communicated this mystery through the apostles and prophets. Okay. And so we don't have time for this morning to do that, okay? But we've done it in the past. We've looked at different things. But even in the Old Covenant, God gave clues, indicators, talking about his love for the Gentiles and how Gentiles were going to come to know him and they would come seek him, okay? That he started to give it. But then he gave it, opened it up fuller to the apostles. One specific apostle was Paul. Paul was given the specific ministry to the Gentiles. Paul was given the specific ministry of being able to, to bring together, to coalesce all what God was, was teaching throughout those thousands of years and to be able to present a, a very clear and concise case for, for what God's plan, bigger picture, was. And so in Romans 1, 1-6, Paul states 
that he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he's already saying, look, this isn't from me. I'm just bringing together what the prophets already declared. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, First John to drop 5, through him, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So Paul's right on the bot stating, look, I've been given this gospel. I've been given this ministry to present the good news to all the nations. And then in 1 Timothy 1, there's other verses on your sermon note sheet you can look at, right? But Paul says, and I thank um, Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I didn't do this on my own. In fact, Paul what? He fought against it. He was killing the church. And he fought against what, what Jesus was doing. Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, against the goads. But you're going to do it. You're going to do what I want you to do. And he did, right? And he says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And if you don't think he can save anybody, look at me. That's what he's saying. You know who I was. I was the least likely candidate to come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and be telling other people about him. And I am Paul. I get this statement. I was suspended for possession and dealing when I was in high school. Do you get it? I won't tell you about the rest of my relationships and stuff that... The life of decadence that Bob lived. Worse than you can imagine. Stories. I'm not glorifying in it. The chief of sinners. I get it. That's why I could say, God, if you could save this wicked soul, I'm yours. He's still working on me. It took him... Then you love the little kids' songs. It took him seven days to make the sun and the moon... The Jupiter and Mars and all that, but he's still working on me. He's still, <laughs> 40 years later, he's still, how loving and faithful he must be. He's still working on me. But he transformed my life. And he wants to transform yours today. If you're here and you don't know him. Again, I grew up in church, guys. So I, I say this. And so some of you would be playing a game. I, and I, it's not for me. Don't play the game. Because you're not playing the game with us, you're playing the game with God, and you're going to lose the game. The end game is going to come one day. And God knows what's in the end. The purpose, again, is for us to make known, to make known, to make known. To make known the fellowship of the mystery to those in the world. You can read Romans 11 later, but this is the idea of us letting know that God's got a plan for Israel. One day, all Israel will be saved. That's the purpose uh, that he gave the gospel to us Gentiles. Is that we can make the Jews jealous. But this is the one that really blows my brain. That we should make known the manifold wisdom of God to rulers and authorities where? In heaven. In heaven. Do you get it? To the angelic realm 
We are living as witnesses. Now, James 3 talks about two witness, two wisdoms. There's the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And so we are supposed to be revealing the wisdom of God, the wisdom of heaven. And this is that passage from 1 Corinthians 11. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Not because of other people, but because of angels. So women, and I'm not going to get into it, but it's all about having long hair. And if you don't have long hair, you ought to have a covering on, okay? It's a teaching for a different day, okay? But the whole purpose of it is not for people, not for man, but for angels. Because whether you realize it or not, again, you are living a spiritual life. Remember, you're seated where? In the heavens. (laughs) You get it. You are a spirit being. You have been redeemed. You have been reconciled. Not by yourself, but by God. And you did it for a reason. And that is because he is using you as a trophy of his grace. Not only for those in the world, but those who are in his presence. The angels and the demons who are there. And we're told that there is rejoicing among the angels when a sinner repents. How cool is that? Those who never have the opportunity for redemption are rejoicing when man gets redeemed. Satan was condemned because he rebelled once. He points his finger and says, what about these guys? In the marvelous mystery of the church, that we break down walls that the world and our flesh want to build. And we become one and united in Jesus. That's why when we saw, remember when we talked about the marks of a healthy church, and we went to John 17, that Jesus was talking about the unity of the church. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. This is who we're supposed to be. So in the end, have you been reconciled to God? Is that reconciliation apparent in your relationship to other believers? Not just your reconciliation to God, but your reconciliation to one another. And then, it's not on your sermon note sheet, but what about to those of other skin tones and nationalities? If you hold a grudge, if you are prejudiced, if you are biased, it's sin. The Bible says that prejudice and bias clouds judgment. My God is a just God. He is not clouded in his judgment. Get rid of any bias. Get rid of any prejudice. Confess it before God. It's sin. He wants you to become Christ-like. Are you active in showing forth the fellowship and oneness of the church among the people who are about you? Do they care? Do they Are they excited about your church? If you're not excited about this church, they're not going to be excited about this church. Well, it's really long. It's really long. It's shorter today. But if you're, if you're bored and, and you don't like it, that's, how, that's what you're going to present to others. What wisdom does your life reveal? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We're grateful for your mercy and your kindness. We're un- un- unworthy of it, undeserving. But that's why it's your grace. Help us, Lord, 
to live as in a body, as an assembly, as you have designed us to be. Help us to reveal to this world, to show forth to this world, your great grace and your plan. And then also to live as a testimony before the angels and the demons of your great grace and your great mercy and what your redemption of a man will look like. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.